Right, the second reading, as Chris said, was uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 and it can be found on page 1,273 of the uh, Bibles in, the, uh, in front of you or on the screen. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse upon you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you so that you can pray above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins offer hospitality to one another without grumbling each one should use whatever gift he has received to to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms if anyone speaks he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it all with the strength God provides, so that with the strength God provides, so, sorry, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Friends, before we look at God's Word, um, I want to give thanks to God that we have the freedom to open the Scriptures in Australia, right? What a, what a wonderful privilege that is. And to be able to share it and proclaim it freely in this country. Many countries in the world, Christians can't do this publicly. Uh, but we can, and what a, what a great privilege that is. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is relevant. It speaks to our hearts. And I pray this morning that you would help us to understand it and apply it in our hearts and lives. Pray for myself as I share your word with your people, Lord. I thank you for the wonderful privilege and honor to share this, your word, with your precious people. Help me to be faithful to the passage. Help us to understand this word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, like I said, what a great privilege it is for us to open God's word, have it read, and to have it explained for us freely in our country. Well, this morning we will look at the topic, enjoy life, but, uh, like I said, I was at the men's convention yesterday, one of the guys who was driving past here, he said to me, Chris, I often look at your, your boards, and he said, I saw this one this morning when I was driving past, enjoy life, but, and he said, can you explain it to me? I said, well, you should do something, come along on Sunday morning, but I see look around, he's not here, uh, that's why he's coming to his church, and that's good. Enjoy life, but, well... We'll try and answer that question, right, as we go along this morning. Life, friends, 
What a wonderful thing life is. God has given us life this morning. We are here. He has given us the breath of life. He has given us health to be here. He has given us many good things in this country. We live in a land of plenty here in Australia. He has given us health. He has provided us food. He has given us great clothes, cars to drive. So many good things that God has given to us. Life itself to enjoy and to, to, to grab every opportunity that God gives and brings our way. And so how are we to enjoy this life that God has given us? Is it something that is subjective? How does a Christian who lives in a very poor country, uh, somewhere in Africa or Cambodia or, or somewhere in the world, enjoy life? I think the denominator there is, as we will see in the text here this morning, when we know who our God is, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances may be around us, and what things we have, we can still enjoy the life that God gives to us, whether you're poor or whether you are rich, because God has given us life. The Apostle Peter this morning, we will look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. That is our text today. And Peter speaks about this, and we're going to expand on this and look at this passage this morning. For example, in 1 Peter chapter, uh, in, in our text this morning, chapter 4, verse 1, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's a, another one of those tough passages in Peter. All right? Uh, with this word, therefore, Peter moves on to practical living. Theology must be practiced. What we know must be put into action. Otherwise, we won't be able to match both our lifestyle and theology together. So it is practical living. And he says, Christ suffered in the flesh. And we'll expand on this as we go on. That is that Jesus suffered in his body. You see, Peter had already referred to the suffering of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 to 25. Uh, Jesus suffered. He suffered rejection. He suffered mental anguish. He suffered ridicule. He suffered um, the, 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 the separation of his friends from himself. He suffered on the cross. He was crucified. He paid a high price on the cross. Why? Because he took upon himself God's wrath against our sin. Nothing less than the suffering and death under the wrath of God could have secured our eternal salvation. The kids talk this morning, spoke about that gift that God has freely given to us. But it's not really that free gift as well, isn't it? It costed God a son. Yes, salvation is free for us. But it costed God his son. That's a tremendous sacrifice that God made through his son for us at the cross. And in the light of his suffering in the body, Jesus dealt with our sin. He dealt with the consequences of sin by his sacrifice for sin at the cross. He was armed, as it were, and, and dealt decisively with sin at the cross. And so Peter says, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let me explain this. 
the original word here for this word, arm yourselves, is a military term. It is a word that refers to a soldier taking up weapons, ready for battle. Now, if you're a soldier going out for battle, you would always be ready, wouldn't you? Uh, I went for a night recently, a careers night, and there was a soldier who was speaking about the defense force, what it means to join the defense force of Australia. I think it must be a wonderful a place, it's a, it's a hard training place, but a soldier has to get up early morning, you're in training, you have to arrange your bed, your bed sheets up to the closest millimeter has to be in place, your shoes have to be polished, you have to be ready on the, on the go. When your commander says go, you've got to be ready. Right? And that's the kind of word that we have that has been used here. The picture here is of a soldier ready for battle. The picture is of a Christian as a soldier uh, in the New Testament is something that is very common. And so we are in a spiritual battle, right? Yes? Right? We are in a spiritual battle. You see, Peter's point is that we are soldiers in the battlefield facing a spiritual conflict and a struggle against sin in our lives. And this was, was brought in new to me when I first became a Christian. As a young, young guy, when I first became a Christian, suddenly I began to realize in my life the things that I was not, that, that, that things were not right in my life. There were certain things that I was doing which was not right. But prior to that, I wasn't really concerned about those things. But suddenly, because of God's work in our lives, we begin to be mindful of the sins that are in our own lives. And we have a battle immediately on our hands. And it is a battle that is ongoing. We are in a spiritual war every day. You see, we see the casualties everywhere. People falling from disease, from divorce, tragedies in their life. Uh, looking around at all the suffering, we may think that the battles in, in hospitals and the divorce courts are the major battles in life. But in reality, I think, we are losing the advanced and the most important conflict. And it is the battle that goes on in our minds. Right? The battle that goes on in our hearts. That's an ongoing thing. Every day, our minds are bombarded with a constant stream of thoughts, of suspicions, of temptations that call us to disobey God. And so we struggle with sin. So how do we deal with it? Peter says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Be ready for battle just like a soldier is when he or she goes out to war. And we are to arm ourselves with the weapons, the spiritual weapons that God gives us. And the example here is Jesus. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And how did Jesus deal with that? He resolutely uh, kept his, his heart focused on pleasing his father all the time. Right? That was his resolute purpose. It means that we have to think with our minds, think clearly to being resolute by submitting our minds, our desires to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is an ongoing battle all the time and I want to live my life to please you. But I know this 
thing called sin is hitting me all the time. It doesn't take much, does it? To say a wrong word somewhere and to, to change the whole dynamic of the place, right? All right? Oh, we, it doesn't take much to fall into sin. It doesn't take much to fall into sin, right? Well, you can just do it like that. We can say a word and just hit somebody just there. We can write a comment on Facebook and just cut people like that. We hurt people with our action. Bang! doesn't take much. We can say hurtful things to our wives. As guys, it's full. I, I'm full of this stuff because I've been there at the convention. I was so blessed by it. You know, yesterday we learned what it means to husbands to love our wives. And uh, that, that, that's, that's, it's easy to say, but it's a challenging thing, isn't it? Come on, guys, tell me. Right? Because at the core of my being is selfishness. I don't think about Rose. I'm thinking about my needs. And she's going to fulfill all of my needs because that's how it is. No. You see? Because we're selfish. Our being, that's there. The selfishness. And what I learned on the weekend, I need to put in practice in my home. So sin is so easy. We can easily fall into it. Now, the question here. For whoever has ceased in the flesh has ceased from sin. A big theological question here. Lots written on the topic. Does it mean that Jesus ceased from sin? No. Jesus was never engaged in sin. The Bible expressly declares that Jesus was sinless. The author to the book of Hebrews says that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Hebrews 7. The apostle Paul says this about Jesus. He knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5. At the announcement of his birth, an angel called him that, that holy one who is to be born. And therefore, Peter's words, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For whoever has suffered in the flesh from, has ceased from sin refers to us. So this then raises a significant question. Does this mean that we cease from sinning the moment you become a Christian? Does that mean that? Does it mean sinless perfection? That is, you become a Christian. Man, I'm a saint. I've never sinned anymore in my life. Ask my wife, ask my children, and they'll tell you. Right? We sin. Does it mean that we stop from sinning? You see, is the suffering person a sinless person? Of course not. The fact is, as Christians, we do sin. The apostle warned us, apostle John, he says this, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I'll ask you a direct question this morning. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see yourself as this doctrine of sin is what theologians call original sin. That it began with the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And every single human being born after that day, is born in sin, except for Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. Thank you for letting me know I'm correct. <laughs> uh, you see, every person born is, is born in sin, what we call original sin. And so you might say here this morning, I am not a sinner because I haven't robbed a bank. 
I haven't slept around with so and so or with anyone else. I look after my family well. I'm a good person. So I don't fall into this category of sin. My friend, you're wrong. Because God's word tells us that we have sinned. Have you never lied? Have you never thought about wrong things in your life? You have. Be honest before God and before yourself. I mean, we have seen the example of, of, I mean, we need to just put on our TV sets, don't we? The news, every time we hear the terrible things that goes on in this world, it's because of sin. We have, for example, seen the brutality of sin this, with the murder of that soldier in London this past week. You saw it, or maybe you didn't see it. Did you see the blood on the hands? A brutality of sin right there. So what does these words, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin mean? It is a challenging word, there is no doubt about it. It means, my dear friends, we need to define this word flesh. Let me come to that. This word flesh is used two ways in the Bible. Sometimes the word is used to describe our physical bodies. Other times this word is used to describe our fallen human nature. And in this passage, the word flesh, in my view, has reference to our fallen human nature. As Christians, we are fallen in our human nature, but we've been redeemed by Jesus. Yes, we have victory over sin, but our struggle with sin in the flesh is an ongoing battle until we die or until Christ returns. All right? There will be an ongoing battle. A professor in a Bible college said uh, the young Christians were always coming to him and saying, "Uh, Professor, Professor, what's the problem? He asked them. I'm struggling with sin. And they said, oh, I keep struggling with this particular sin. And he says, well, he says to them, is there something wrong with it? He said, that's good, he said to them. Keep struggling. The problem begins when you don't struggle with your sin. The problem begins when you let sin become just part of your nature and let it go. But when you're actually struggling with it, then you know, man, this is a battle. I've got to put a zip on my mouth if I'm speaking too quickly. I will watch my words. I will watch my actions. I am struggling with this. I am struggling with other things in my life. I am watching. So are you ready to just give up and surrender to the flesh? Don't. What Peter means here is that if in our flesh we have ceased from sin, then what he means is this, I believe. That is that sin no longer has dominion over us, all right? Christ does. Sin doesn't. It means that we have changed. It means that our ongoing battle is on. It means that I have changed by God's grace. I am living under God's direction. Are you? No longer for human passions. Peter says this in verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So how should we live in the present time? No longer for human passions. Why? Because our lives have been touched and changed by Jesus. You are a new creation. We stand victorious already. You are under new management. Is your life under new management? And our desires are now being changed to be more and more like Jesus, to please him. And so you might face ridicule from your peers because you choose not to join them in their acts and, and the things that they do. 
You might be ostracized by your family and friends for following Jesus. Or you may not get a promotion in the workplace because you want to do the right thing. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph understood this and refused to let his desire run wild when Potiphar's wife enticed him to sin. Potiphar's wife, remember, she said, come sleep with me. Come all the time. And she kept on at this guy. And Joseph, one day, he just ran. That's what we do. When, when sin is at our heart, just run away from it. It's easy said than done, is it? It's a challenge. Your mind, your action, your word, you think about God. I said, this thing is not right for me. I've got to flee from it. Get your running shoes and out. Because God provides a way of exit when temptation hits you. When you're alone as a guy, in, you're going overseas and you're traveling, you're by yourself in that room, and the adult shows are on on the TV. Example, what do you do with it? Or you can be doing all kinds of stuff around the place. How do you handle these kind of temptations? Or you might be, or, or pornographic sites. I mean, it's, it's a common thing. It's a, it's a massive issue in our society. How do we handle it? How do I face it? Uh, do I have an accountability with somebody else? She's sin. He said, I do all the time. But, uh, but uh, Peter says here, notice the transition here, to live for the will of God. And what is this will of God, friends? This will of God that we have here is very clear. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Here is God's will for your life. You don't have to go and ask God. In this context here in Peter, the will of God is clear. We don't need a special writing on the sky. The will of God is clear. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but live a holy life. Why? Because purity matters to God. All right? Purity matters to God. Our lives matter to Him. And He wants the best for you and for me, right? Come to that in a moment. See, holy living is a, living, a life lived for Jesus. And so Peter goes on. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, verses 3 and 4, Passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. You see, let me give you the context here, very quickly. At the time, Christians of the first century abstained themselves from various forms of entertainment. The entertainment at the time was a gladiatorial fights in, in big theaters. There were these fights and blood was spilling everywhere. And Christians refused to get in involved with that. Then there was sex and orgies, these parties of drunkenness and everything that was going on. So Christians held back. What? There was drunkenness. There was common entertainment at the time. And Christians were faced with the challenge at the time whether to get involved or not. And they had to choose either to go with the kind of lifestyle at the time or to honor the Lord. And Peter mentions six things here. Have a look at them, friends, in your text this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. Living in sensuality. The word that is used there, and the Greek text here tells us it is pleasure. Lawless pleasure. Lawlessness of lewdness, which knows no restraint. Sensuality that says, I am the source of everything. It's about me. 
It's about my satisfaction. It is what I will get out in my life. I don't care about other people. It's my life. It's sensuality without restraint. Right? It is passion. That is lust. That's the, the understanding here is lust which drives one to excessive mindless actions. Drunkenness. The, the, the word there is wine bubbling up. Overflowing with wine. Intoxicated. You're so drunk you don't know. You can't stand straight. You can't walk straight. You, you, don't, you can't drive a car. Your mind is going berserk. Things happen. Orgies. It refers to a wild party in extra-biblical uh, literature. It referred to a group of drunken people going through the streets causing havoc and behaving wildly. I mean, have you seen sometimes on our streets where letterboxes have been knocked over and, and cars been keyed and everything else? <laughs> Tires been slashed? Ever heard of those things? You got up in the middle of the night and think, man, what's going on in my road, in my street? People are behaving wild. Drinking parties, going wild, living as if there was no tomorrow. The sixth thing you see is lawless idolatry. That is, a worshipping, it, it has a religious connotation to this. It is a religious aspect to it. It's worshipping things, other things, whatever, apart from God. Do these things kind of describe the world that we're living in today? Does it kind of tell us about the culture that we're living in today? Not just Peter's time? And Peter says, enough is enough. The past is sufficient. Well, someone might say this morning, I haven't done these six things mentioned in the verse 3, so this doesn't apply to me. And the past, Peter says, you live this kind of lifestyle? Not anymore. The pre-conversion. But friends, God knows our hearts. You know the things that you've done wrong. Maybe not these things. But God says, if you're a Christian now, that's a past. Walk in the newness of life. So, but as Peter says to us further, he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. Who are the they? Who are the they? Your colleagues, your friends, your Non-Christian family and friends, they're surprised when you don't join with them in the same flooded debauchery and they malign you. Now, I went for a footy match. I kind of go for one or two matches a season. I went for the match that I thought we would win and we lost. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, we won yesterday. By the way, I support cats, right? So, the match I went, we lost at Collingwood. Many Collingwood supporters rejoice. But think about us and weep with us. Right. The point is, I was sitting there, and the kind of language that goes out, I came to the train station, and, and people, older people, their language is just flying filth. I came home and said, I, I can't believe what I just was hearing from people in their 60s, 70s. The language. Now, I'm, look, that's fine, that's up to them, but I don't want to judge those people or anything else. I'm just saying the point. Say, we don't join with that kind of language. We don't join with that kind of river. Why? Because God has changed our hearts. He's changed my mind. He's changed my lips, my tongue. He's working at it, isn't it? And that's the reason, because of our grace, the God's grace to us. So your non-Christian friends will look at you and say, Hey, you're a weirdo. Why aren't you joining my drunken parties? Why aren't you joining and doing this, that, and the other thing? They will say, come on, loosen up. 
Are you for real? What's wrong with you, man? You're a joke. Do you mean God really does not want you to have fun? Is God a killjoy? Are you saying that you're better than us? These are some of the arguments they might put to you. What's the problem with you? Why are you a killjoy? Why do you take such ethical positions in your life based on your faith as a Christian? For example, euthanasia on on same-sex marriage. You you don't understand. Well, I mean, in 2013, this is the modern world. This is the modern family. Where have you been? Have you been hiding under a rock? People might say to you before marriage, why don't you sleep around? Have sex with many people as possible. Why don't you live together with someone else? Now look, I'm not trying to put a moral code here. I'm just raising the issues. Because what transforms us is the gospel of Christ, right? That's why it is. So as Christians, so when you take that stance, look at what the Bible tells us. What Peter says, with respect to this, they are surprised and they will malign you. That's the, 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 the original word that is used is, is this word, the blasphemio. That's the word that is used there in the original. It refers to a harsh outburst. Why? Because their worldview is focused on the year and now. And they are lost. And we need to pray for our non Not to be judgmental, but to be gracious and to say to our friends, I don't take part in these things because Jesus is precious to me. Because I love Jesus. That's why. That's why. It is said that Augustine was born, uh, Augustine was born in AD 354 to a pagan father and a Christian mother named Monica. Uh, Monica was well known for her devotion to Christ and Augustine was anything but a Christian in his early years. His moral life was characterized by many mistresses, one of which bore him an illegitimate son. And spiritually, Augustine spent time following Neoplatonism and other kinds of philosophies, everything that was anti-Christian. And despite all of these things, his mother Monica spent years praying for her son. And eventually he came to admire one day the preaching of Ambrose of Milan. But then one day he was in a garden where there were children playing a game which had the refrain, this was the refrain. I hope I get the pronunciation right. Tole lege, tole lege. That's what they were crying. Means this, pick up and read, pick up and read. With these words ringing in his ears, he picked, the Bible, picked up the Bible and his eyes fell onto this text. Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And at that moment, Augustine's heart was touched and he recognized himself in the text and he put his faith in Christ. Friends, there will be a day of reckoning. God wants us to enjoy our lives. Enjoy your life, but, we'll come back to that in a moment, God wants us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to live holy lives because therein lies happiness and freedom. Therein lies true joy and peace, not brokenness and hurts. What, what do you want to do? Right? Here is true meaning. One writer put it this way, God has plans for your body. And they are plans for purity and for good. Don't cheapen life. Don't settle for distortion. Don't poison the wine God decants into you. 
be done with sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And then, friends, notice what Peter says here. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 5. For this is why the gospel was preached. Peter closes this section. The reminder of the future. A final judgment is coming. It's an encouragement to us to persevere in the faith. We have a genuine hope to look forward to. The unsaved may judge us in this world, but one day God will judge them. You may be rejected, maligned, and laughed at for being a Christian. You may get opposed, but a day of accounting is coming. A final day of judgment. And this is why Jesus preached the good news, the gospel, repent and believe. And those are, and he's not talking about Jesus preaching to dead spirits, because that's the text that we see here. He's saying, he's telling us the reason Jesus came. He came and preached the gospel because judgment was coming and many who heard him and believed had already died. The gospel is preached. What do you do with Jesus this morning? It's appointed for men once to die, then the judgment. All mocking will stop. The game is about to be over. All disobedience will stop. The dread of God will grip the wicked. Reality will hit them in the face. The author to the book of Hebrews, which John read, sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, talks about this. Life under the sun. The preacher puts it this way. Not because that's his final verdict of all life, but because he wants to shock us into the reality of what we face if we attempt to live this life under the sun. Life under the sun is his code language for life lived apart from God. It is empty. It has no meaning. Now, I love listening to music. And one of the songs, and one of the people I love listening to was, is Whitney Houston. Um, I'll play this clip for you. Right? Think about the words for a moment. I'll come back to that. words are quite alright. Last few words. Everybody is searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. And Whitney Houston was found dead in, in Houston, the Beverly Hilton Hotel one night the night before she had performed, and she had sung uh, this song, Jesus Loves Me. I don't know where her faith was, don't know. But 
Isn't it tragic? Everybody is searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. Died a sad, lonely life perhaps. Friends, see, is your life empty this morning? You say happiness is godliness. And godliness is pleasing God. And this includes how we live our lives today. So let us enjoy our lives. How? By living our lives God's way. Let us enjoy our lives knowing who our God is. Enjoy life but know your God. That's what it is. Enjoy life but know Jesus. Enjoy life but know the Savior that you trust. Because blessed is the person who knows this Lord. You don't have to depend on you, but he's done it all. You don't have to come to the end of your life and to be in a lonely place to be. Do you? Do you want that? Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to enjoy the life that you've given us but to enjoy it your way. To enjoy it by trusting you. To turn our backs from sin and know the power of Jesus in our lives. As we reflect the past in our lives, we know that when we repent of sin, they are dealt with. Help us to live in the present by trusting you and help us to look to the future to know A day of accounting will come. And so help us to share the good news, the gospel, with those around us. This morning, we pray for this broken, hurting world we live in. We pray for those who are lost are going to a Christless eternity. Lord, we weep. We weep before you for the lost. And would you use this church, use us, your people, dear Lord, to bring revival and renewal in our community and great city of Melbourne in this nation and across the world. Amen.